Hi everyone, welcome to Eat Drink Social, a podcast about social influencers in the food and beverage industry. My name is Lena Martinez, and you'll be hearing from myself and members of the IPG team. IPG stands for Influencer PR Group and is a division of Go Social. We have offices in Louisville, Kentucky and Denver, Colorado. If you have any questions, you can find us at ipgagency.com or on social at IPG Agency. We're joined now by tequila expert Lucas Assis. Um, can you tell me how you got into um, TikTok and kind of your idea behind starting TikTok and kind of how you got into um, like giving people information about different tequilas and mezcals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at first, like everybody, uh, like around my age, I thought TikTok was mostly for, you know, kids dancing and stuff like that. Um, so I never really downloaded TikTok, but when the pandemic hit, um, I started, you know, just posting some like cocktail tutorials and uh, things of like how to start your home bar on Instagram, just for like fun and stuff. And a couple of my friends just kept telling me like, hey, you should really check out TikTok. Um, you know, there's like a growing, like a bartender community on TikTok. And like I downloaded the app and I kind of started, you know, following some bartenders there and I thought it was really cool. Uh, so I just pretty much transported my uh, content from Instagram to TikTok. So I started just posting uh, a lot of like cocktail tutorials, a lot of history behind the cocktails. And I f- one of the things that I really like about TikTok is this like everybody has this thirst for knowledge. So there's so many like educational uh, accounts on TikTok. Right. So yeah. So when I started posting a lot of the history of old school cocktails and even the, like the new classic cocktails, uh, people really started responding to that. And um, I'm really a huge fan of tequila and mezcal and agave spirits. So uh, of course, I would be making more cocktails with those ingredients. And I saw that people really wanted to learn more. And, you know, it's the, gr- the highest growing uh, spirit in the U.S. now. Mm-hmm. So um, I have my, you know, ideas and thoughts of, of tequila and which one you should buy. And I started posting those things and being educational, not trying to be too judgmental, which I think a lot of people in this industry can be, but also sure. my opinions, right? Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So because your specialty is tequila and mezcal, um, would do you prefer the, when shooting tequila, do you prefer salt and lime or the orange cinnamon and sugar um, to shoot with? Um, if I'm just shooting, I, I think I like just the lime. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Just take nice. a shot and then bite the lime. <laughs> Ooh, I, I wish I could do that. <laughs> um, awesome. That's, that's such good information. Um, and where did your interest in tequila come from? Um, was it, like you said, you liked, um, making stuff, are uh, you like making cocktails with tequila and mezcal the most, um, where did that stem from? Like, what was the first time you really um, had a bond with tequila over other spirits? So I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One, uh, I think it does help that my wife uh, is, her family is from Mexico. Okay. And, you know, pre-pandemic, we would go to Mexico about three, four times a year uh, in the state of Michoacan, which is like close to Jalisco. So a lot of the times we would land in Jalisco. Uh, so we got to, you know, visit uh, tequila 
and a couple of cities like that, uh, that, that make tequila. And I really fell in love with the culture of Mexico, the music, the people, of course, the food. Um, and I think being a bartender in LA, uh, I already had that love for spirits, you know? And I think it was just like an organic thing where I just really started falling more in love with tequila and uh, all agave spirits. Uh, but there was a chef that worked at one of the restaurants I worked here in LA, the executive chef, who was one of the one, one of the most knowledgeable persons about uh, one of the most knowledgeable people about mezcal and tequila. Uh, he actually he's actually from Denver. Uh, he started the mezcal uh, oh, okay. cocktail bar that they had there a couple of years ago. Nice. Um, yeah. And so he came to LA and started working with us. And somebody told me, I remember like, Hey, this guy really knows his agave spirit. So you should like, you know, hang out with him a little bit. And I just became this like information sponge around him. And I would just ask him all questions. And, um, you know, we would talk about mezcal and, and tequila for days. And when people would come in to do tastings with him, he would always invite me in. So I could like, you know, hone down my tasty notes and all those things. Um, so he really helped me like perfect my knowledge of mezcal. Um, and he was the one that, you know, told me about the sustainability aspects of mezcal and tequila uh, and how important those things are. So that, that combination of uh, hanging out with Sean, the chef, and, you know, marrying to a Mexican family uh, really, I think, propelled my love for, for agave spirits. Awesome. That's a great way to start and start learning, um, which is also a perfect segue into my next question. I know um, some of your content focuses on um, celebrities and their own kind of tequila brands and how um, that can get messy. Where do you think the biggest cultural disconnect stems from when society, uh, celebrities try to create their own tequila brand? Like what kind of things are they missing? I think it's a great question. Um, I think... I have to say probably the agriculture of the plant itself. Okay. You know, I think a lot of people, they don't actually know how embedded in the culture of Mexico the agave plant is. You know, people are using this as currency or as things as like uh, pulque, which is like, you know, a fermented drink from the sap of the agave or mm -hmm. uh, making candies and sweets, you know, since, you know, way, way before tequila was even a thing. And with the industry of tequila being only available, being only able to make it with one agave, the blue agave, mm -hmm. that puts so much pressure in the, into the agriculture of that one plant, sure. right? And not Definitely. only that, yeah, and it can only be grown in a very small area in Mexico. So you're already talking about a small geographical place, you know, as far as the right. world, and you shrink it even more because only a few states can grow the agave. Mm -hmm. And I don't, people don't appreciate those things and people I don't think have the sustainability efforts to make sure that we can have this plant for generations and generations. So when they're Definitely. just, you know, getting the, the agave at three, four years old, when you should be really waiting when it's like, you know, eight to nine years old, uh, they're essentially just getting the agave so they can call it tequila. They're making a neutral spirit on a diffuser, which is a, this huge giant machine that extracts all the, the, the juices and uh, of the, you know, young agave. And then they just, they just distill that so they can call it tequila. And then they, you know, rely on chemicals to make it taste like the tequila that, that we think, uh, what tequila is supposed to, to taste like. Right. And I think it's completely killing that, that cultural aspect of tequila. 
Definitely. And when you say chemicals, um, I know on your page, you talk a lot about additives for some of our viewers who might not know what those um, additives are. Would you mind explaining that just a little bit more and some of the more popular tequila brands you have and how additives affect the quality of the tequila? Yeah. Um, so basically there are four additives that, uh, so let's start the CRT, which is the governing body of tequila. They allow for brands to use additives in the tequila if it's not more than 1% of the total volume, right? And we talk about additives like it's a bad thing and it is, but also like these are in everything else that we drink, you know what I mean? Your, right. your mm-hmm. sodas and everything else has these additives. But, and then when we think it's only 1%, it's like, oh, it's not that much. But then when you think also how concentrated these things are now, it's right. actually quite a lot, you know? Um, so it can, so the four additives that are used are syrups or harabes, and these usually can be agave syrups itself, but it can also have some like herbal syrups or some, something like that to get those tastes of like the herbal of the tequila. Um, so like, you know, when somebody tastes cucumber or basil or something like that, sure. yeah. they're trying to recreate that. Um, the oak extract um, um, yeah, oak extract, caramel coloring, and glycerin. Those are the four additives that they're used. And those can be to make a tequila taste like it's, you know, has more age than it really does. Um, it can help with the coloring. And a lot of this, these additives are also used because of consistency. I think especially in the American market. If you go mm-hmm. to a store and you buy a tequila and you love that tequila, you kind of want to buy that tequila that tastes like that, you know, anytime you want it. And the reality is just like wine, it doesn't happen in real tequila because right. every batch is going to be completely different, not just the taste, but also the color, right? So depending on the barrels that they use, all those things can have discrepancies on how they taste and look. And mm-hmm. a lot of these brands, what they're looking for really is consistency. So you get what you want for, you know, when, whenever you go to the store. Um, so with that, Thing that I kind of uh, understand, you know, I, of course, I'm not looking for consistency in my tequila, but I understand how the, you know, mass amount of people are. Uh, right. It kind of got out of hand, I think, uh, especially with the fact that, you know, these brands don't want to wait nine years to grow agave. So they're, they right. found a way to make these uh, additives, make it, you know, taste like tequila and using the diffusers to, to distill the product. Definitely. Kind of those little shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, that goes into my um, next question, which is about mezcal. And you talk on your page about mezcal being a sacred practice, which is so important. Um, I mean, for any um, uh, cultural practice, mm-hmm. um, in your opinion, why do you think it's so important that mezcal stays a sacred practice without commercializing it the way we've seen tequila been, has been done? Right. Um, so I think, so basically tequila was a mezcal, right? Before tequila became a uh, okay. tequila, it was called mezcal de tequila, which is basically a mezcal from the city of tequila. And then oh. it became uh, tequila itself. Uh, some some families wanted to like, you know, really uh, protect their spirit. So that's how we got to a tequila spirit. But before that, it was called mezcal. Oh. So mezcal is really like, uh, you know, a huge part of Mexico's culture mm-hmm. and especially in the state of Oaxaca. And I often compare mezcal as moonshine, 
you know uh, there's so many relationships with with moonshine it's made in the middle of the mountains you know often hidden away uh, a lot of the times it was illegal how they made it you know mezcal legality of mezcal is, is something new um and these are things that have passed on from generations to generations four or five generations have been making mezcal and mm -hmm. you know the there's there's communities in, in oaxaca small cities that the whole economy of the city depends on mezcal and it has for hundreds of years mm -hmm. and you make every almost every household has a little place where they distill the mezcal and everybody has their routes so you kind of like you don't get on my route because i've been doing this route for 30 years um, right you know and the people that i'm on my route they're like my mezcal and they're not going to come by yours and there's all these like little things around the culture of mezcal especially in oaxaca um, and I feel like with commercialization, with these big brands coming in, it, it can kill that, you know? Uh, right. I think with, because mez also mezcal was, not too long ago, was looked at as something that was like only, you know, poor people drank. It wasn't a, a refined spirit. Like, you know, like today it's talked about as mm -hmm. one of the best spirits in the world. But not too long ago, it was considered like a poor person's spirit. Um, so you got to look at the the benefits of, people find out mezcal and it becoming something great um, or people getting to know that it's now something great, but it's a fine line of where to play where you lose the culture aspect of it. You lose the like sacred part of the mezcal, mm -hmm. uh, but also wanting the world to, to find mezcal, you know, and there's a few brands right. there um, that are like distributing mezcal that are really focusing on that. They're, you know, they, they have the power and the, the, the efforts to distribute it to the world and bring it to everybody's attention, but the people making it are still very much like a sacred thing to them. So it's few brands that are doing it really well. Nice. Um, that's good to know. Uh, I think that Mezcal is kind of one of those things people don't really know about. And as it comes more to light, it's important to know um, all the background about it as well. Right. Exactly. Um, which is why representation in the spirits industry and in every industry is so important. Um, where do you think um, the spirits industry can improve in making sure, um, especially spirits that come from other countries are represented? Um, I think really just giving credit to where it comes from. Definitely. You know, I think especially with the celebrity brands, it's so easy to just market your face and uh, mm -hmm. talk about tequila, but forgetting the roots of that. Uh, of that spirit, you know, um, one of my videos that, that went viral is when I called out Kendall Jenner for mm -hmm. coming out with her tequila. Uh, and I said, it was culture appropriation. A lot of people are asking me, well, then only Mexicans can make tequila. And no, you know, there, there's a lot of foreign people making great tequila in Mexico uh, that are being celebrated, but because they celebrate the industry, they celebrate the culture, they don't try to exploit it, you know? So when somebody comes exactly. in- exactly oh, I made the best, you know, for the last three years, I've been coming to Mexico and I think we made the best tequila. That's kind of disrespectful to the families that have been doing it for four or five generations, you know? Right. Um, so it, so it's, it, that's what it's hard, but it's also awesome to see these people from other countries coming into Mexico and really focusing on celebrating the cultures, celebrating that part of the sacred, you know, part of mezcal and tequila. So I think it's just that, giving credit to where it comes from. Absolutely. I completely agree. That's very important. Um, if people were looking to become more involved in learning about true, authentic tequila and mezcal, where do you think would be a good place for them to start? 
Um, so they can come to me and explain. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, there, there's definitely a few websites uh, that are doing things really, really well, that are really opening the eyes uh, to everybody in the industry. I think one for tequila, tequila matchmaker is a great tool. I always talk about them. Um, so basically every tequila bottle will have a gnome. Uh, and that is basically like a tequila's address. It's a four digit code that in every bottle uh, should be labeled over there. And once you type that in on tequila matchmaker, it gives you all the information for that tequila. So it gives you basically where it's made, the address of the distillery and how many other brands are made there. So if you know, look at a gnome and there's like 30, 40 different brands being made there, it's usually it's not a good sign. Right. Uh, usually means that it's, you know, and you want to see if there's like a diffuser at the distillery. And another thing that they have too is a, is a list of additive free tequilas. And these are certif certified. Uh, they have a really thorough process where they go to the distillery and they check all the paperwork. Uh, they check everything in the distillery. So then you can be included in the additive free uh, tequila. And I think there's like a hundred and I think there's like 162 registered brands or something like that. Um, and th that list is growing more and more within the, the additive free, but it's a, it's, it's a new program. So it's not like if it's not on that list, it's not additive free. These distillers have to like request them to go. And then of course, with all the COVID thing going on, um, they're not being able to travel so much. So there's a delay on that list, but still the ones that they have there, it's a, it's a really good list, list for you to see the tequilas that are made with no additives, the tequilas that are made the right way. Um, and for that same thing, they have mezcalreviews.com. Um, okay. You know, and with uh, mezcal is a little bit different because they do have a norm for mezcal too. Um, but I often say that you should find a mezcalero you like. So a lot of these mezcaleros, they work with different brands, you know? So if you really like something from this one certain mezcalero, Mezcal Reviews will have his name there if he's a registered uh, maestro uh, mezcalero. And it will have all the brands that he's worked with, all the mezcals that he's done. Uh, so it's a great tool to find uh, yours too. And then uh, Mezcalistas, uh, they have a blog and have an Instagram. It's a great website too. They even do, I think, trips to down to Mexico to visit the distillery. Oh, wow. Too. Uh, it's awesome. a great tool with great blog posts about the industry and focusing on sustainability and all those things. Awesome. That is awesome. And then for our viewers who don't um, know, can you talk about the difference in tasting notes between um, tequila and mezcal? And that can be anywhere from añejos to reposados to uh, mezcal as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you. So tequila Again, it's only made with one agave, right? So you mm -hmm. can use the blue agave. And then, so the, the key differences that you're gonna look in a tequila are lowland agaves and highland agaves. Okay. So the highland agaves are grown in rich red volcanic soil in the, the highlands part of Jalisco. And these, they usually call them the female agaves. So it's more of like an open taste. So you're tasting like, um fruity and like orange peels you know what i mean something like that like uh, very herbaceous and then you have the the lowlands which are more bold they call it the male agaves um so those are like more mineral uh agaves and of the, the demand for highland is way way bigger than the lowlands but it's also just a personal preference like i prefer the lowland agaves but i know the majority of people that drink tequila they prefer the highlands um okay. So you're looking for those things. You're looking for either like, I usually say you're binding into a cooked agave. And okay. um, 
Yeah, so like it's super herbaceous. Uh, you get a little bit of cucumber, you get a little bit of basil and certain tequilas, a little bit of orange peel, some you get like anise. Um, and once you taste like real tequila, it kind of will ruin all the other tequilas for you because you're like, oh my God, this is <laughs> what it's supposed to taste like, you know? Right. <laughs> Especially if you're used to drinking the, the, the big brands. Mm -hmm. uh, within Mezcal, to be honest, it gets a little overwhelming because there is more than 30 different kinds of agaves that are used for mezcal. Oh, okay. So espadín is the, the only one that's successively farmed. Uh, so I often say people would ask me like, you know, which, which mezcal do I, do I drink, like to start drinking mezcal? And I think you really need to start with espadín so you can get those notes of like a more, you know, commercialized mezcal. Um, so with espadín, you're gonna get a lot of mineral tastes um, very herbaceous. Um, and then there's a, the, the thing about smoke. Everybody talks about like a mezcal is smoky, uh, which is true. A lot of mezcal is smoky, but not all mezcal is smoky. There's some mezcal okay. that tastes almost like a brandy, you know? So it all comes down to the cooking process. So a lot of the mezcal are made uh, in the underground pits where they cover the, the piñas, the, the, agave, the agave plant with like rocks and they roast them for, you know, depending on the, the, the mezcalero for up to like a week sometimes. Wow, that's, that's where you get the smoke from. And with mm -hmm. this, I think, I think you'll be able to really start getting the herbaceous notes, those mineral notes, but also getting that smoke and be able to identify all those. And then Definitely. you can move on to the other agaves, you know, which again, can be a little bit overwhelming, but like, you know, the Tobalas, it's a really easy to drink, a little bit of sweeter notes. My favorite one is called the Kerwinski, uh, which is a, a, like a very different agave that it grows almost like a Joshua tree. It's like a very tall. Oh, agave. okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's like, you know, it's an acquired taste. It's very, very mineral, which that's okay. what I, you know, have found that I enjoy. Uh, very earthy, almost like umami almost on, on some mezcal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's amazing. But yeah, but again, there's so many different agaves that uh, it can get a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then how do you think people can advocate for um, authentic tequila brands? Um, research is one thing. And then do you recommend, um, I know you said looking at um, where it's made and what brands are there. Mm -hmm. um, but if people wanted to spread the word about the importance of authentic tequila brands, how do you think they should start doing that? Um, I think, yeah, one is like, you know, it, and it's also... I'm in California, so it's easy for me to say only drink sure. tequilas that are made this, you know, because we're mm -hmm. lucky here and we get all the tequilas. But I know that most states in the U.S., it's pretty hard to find these tequilas because also the, there are smaller brands. They don't have, you know, the capacity to, to do Absolutely. the distribution that these celebrity tequilas have, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to, you know, do your, do your part, I do think it's, you know, put your, your money uh where your mouth is and basically start looking for these tequilas. And there's some pretty big ones out there. Like Ocho is a great one that, you know, it's done really, really well at one of the most okay. uh, important distilleries uh, in Mexico. It's, it's great stuff. Um, so, and just advocate for that, you know, make sure that the brand you're drinking has a sustainability effort or Definitely. if it's a single estate tequila, if they're using ripe agaves or not. So, you know, go to tequila matchmaker and see how, old it is or how it's cooked if it's cooked in a diffuser that it pretty much guarantees that they're using really young agaves you know mm -hmm. uh, so th those are the things that you can do definitely thank you so much that is super helpful for um people who might not know about 
how to um, get authentic tequila. Um, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk a little bit more about the social media side and your just ex- um, experience with that. Um, what advice do you have for um, cocktail creators trying to build their brand on TikTok? Um, I, th- I think for me, it's like basically one, it does have to look good, right? Of course. Yeah. But people are interested in stories and history. And I think if you get both of those, and even if it's a story of like how you created that cocktail, if it's your own, or if you're featuring a classic cocktail, what's tell me the story of how, where you were, what bar you were at when you first had this cocktail, Um, you know, or did you make it for a friend for the first time? People really tend to love those things of like, not just a pretty picture of a good cocktail, but a story, or if not a history of that cocktail of that spirit. And, and your post. I think that's at least what's happened for me, that that's where I've gotten the most response when I tell a story with the cocktail, with the spirit. Yeah, that's off- awesome. Um, I love your TikToks. <laughs> Sometimes I just binge watch them. I'm like, yeah, I gotta try this one. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, what kind of content can your viewers expect from you in the future? Are you going to um, stay um, being informational or are you going to branch out into some, um, different type of storytelling or what can they expect from you? Um, so yeah, I'm working on some stuff right now. I think, um, I've been getting a lot of requests for like zoom classes of like tequila and mezcal, uh, tasting classes and stuff like that. So I'm definitely working on that. Um, and I hopefully you'll be able to to provide that soon. Um, I, but I know I'm still going to stay true and, talk about mezcal and, and, and tequila and agave spirits uh, and teaching people, you know, the, the sustainable, how to drink sustainably and telling the stories and, and, and history of all these spirits. Um, but I do see it branching more into, you know, honestly, like travel, uh, really what got me into bartending was traveling. I wanted to find a job where I could travel when I wanted to. And bartending was, you know, was, was one that I could, and I fell in love with bartending, but uh, I would love to combine both of those things or maybe like, you know, distillery tours in Mexico and taking people to Mexico to get to know yes. more of this, people making this. Um, yeah, and working with brands that I love um, and educating people. I think those are the three things that I love, educating spirits and travel. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I would love to do that as well. <laughs> um, if you could describe your TikTok to someone who's never seen it in a word, what would that word be? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, in one word? Yeah. Uh, can it be drink responsibly? Yeah, perfect. I love it. Drink sustainably. <laughs> yes, drink sustainably. That's drink a good sustainably. one. I think that's perfect. Um, awesome. Well, um, that is all the questions I have um, for right now. Is there anything else you want to tell viewers about yourself or um, any brands you're working with that they should look out for? Anything like that? Um, no, not right now. Okay. Um, no, I think that's, yeah, especially in like the future that we just talked about. I think that yeah. the things that I'm working on right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, talking with me today. It was awesome meeting you and learning all about <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Eat Drink Social. If you have a story to share or know someone who does, please reach out to us at ipgagency.com.